Welcome into another episode of ESPN's NBL podcast. My name's Kane Pittman, and alongside me, once again, by the power of Wi Fi, he just had to close a million windows in his laptop just to get this thing functioning. So we hope that it hangs on throughout this podcast. It's my esteemed colleague, newsbreaker extraordinaire, Olga Norwich. <laughs> I had like 15 tabs in one of them, and I had like eight tabs in another. And I, my computer was just like lagging. I had no choice. And I felt bad because we I was trying to hustle. But just my computer's just been a mess all day. Um, so yeah, I had to close everything, which it hurts me. I feel like I, like I lose a bit of my soul because I've got all my... Everything is there for a reason. And now, now it's all gone. Now I've got to slowly work it back together. So thank you for sort of... This is like an inter, intervention. Um, so now I have a singular tab open. And I think everything's going well so far. I've seen those tabs and I would strongly protest that you needed all of them open. I think that is just a complete lie to myself and everyone else listening and potentially watching uh, this podcast as well. But we'll move on from that. (laughs) Nothing but honesty from here on out. Uh, Since we last caught up and we're a couple of days late because there's been just a few things going on over the last few days, we're going to get through all of those. Southeast Melbourne are going to be looking for a coach. Uh, more changes to the Brisbane Bullets organization. And we also have a grand final series. Last time we were here, we were waiting to find out who would move through. And I will say this, for Sydney and New Zealand fans, we'll touch on the Kings and the Breakers for sure in this podcast. But because it's already Thursday afternoon as we're recording this, we're going to record again early next week, back in the usual time slot, we hope, on Tuesday. And that's when we're going to really dive deep into the grand final because we've got this two-week siesta when it comes to the nbl thanks to our friends at fiba so organ but it doesn't mean we've had a lack of content or a lack of news that's for sure no every like things are still happening we're seeing re-signings we're seeing options picked up we're seeing coaches uh stepping aside we're seeing front office people get made redundant like this this doesn't stop we've got a boomers game tonight we've got a boomers game in a few nights like this stuff doesn't end like i i understand the argument that is breaks the momentum. We had really, we had two really good game threes, mm. um, backing up two really good series. I thought both of those series were awesome. Um, so yeah, I get it hits the momentum a little bit, but it gives us a chance to focus on some of the other stuff around the league. Gives me a chance to focus on a bit of Hogwarts legacy. I'm getting, I'm getting stuck right in Kane. I'm, I'm right in there. I'm, I'm right, right in my Griffin, right in my Gryffindors right now. All right, so we're doing really well. Um, but look, it's a, I get the momentum has stopped. And I know, I know you want to question me on Hogwarts Legacy. And, and I do. <laughs> try, try me. I'm having so much fun. Um, but no, there's so much going on. And I'm, I like getting stuck into... I like getting, I, you know, Everyone knows I like the sort of ancillary stuff to what goes on on, on the court. You know, the, the back-end stuff. Oh, you do. You don't just like it. Like That is where you are <laughs> in your absolute element. And that's why I would like to believe that we work well together. You are just all over this stuff more than anyone in the whole damn country, which is why we love working together. You break all the stuff at ESPN.com.au, and then I like to talk uh, talk about it with you, and we break it all down, and we come at it from different angles. So we'll start with the news, but I will say for Kansas Taipans fans and Tassie Jumpers fans as well, season might be done, but obviously there's some big stuff that's going to be happening with those teams and the roster stuff and the free agency, but we will discuss what we saw in the semifinal series from those two teams' perspectives. So hang around for that. Uh, I've mentioned ESPN.com.au a couple of times, but make sure you go there because there is plenty of news getting around at the moment and the NBA is about to make its run to the playoffs as well. So there's endless stuff over there. Make sure you watch The Jump on Wednesday nights. All the playoff coverage you need there with the legendary Andrew Gaze and Leonard Copeland. 
Kane and Copes with uh, Kane and the legendary Leonard Copeland. Make sure you check that out. Kane, the legendary Andrew Gaze and Leonard Copeland, and also Kane. Good on you, <laughs> Kane, the the civilian Kane. Go on. I, I, I have nothing else to add. We just have to leave it at that. Let's get to the news, Olgs. Okay, <laughs> let's start with the Phoenix. So uh, you were able to catch up with Simon Mitchell, ask him a few different things. Long story short, he is not going to be the coach of this team next season. I would just say, firstly, I, I don't think that this was a big surprise. I don't think there was uh, too many uh, shocks that came out that this decision was made. And we'll get into the job that he's done with his team. And I think he deserves a hell of a lot of credit. But I just thought just a, a fascinating story and some of the quotes that came out from Simon. And the one thing we've always liked from him is that he is black and white, straight down the line. And he's going to tell you what he thinks. And we saw that in this story when he spoke a little bit about the fact that he's lost some of the passion for the game. Or, or, or as we should say, not maybe not the passion for the game, the enjoyment of the day-to-day grind of getting through a coaching season. Yeah, and like you and I are in every Southeast Melbourne Phoenix press conference. I think we saw this with him. There was, there was a level of stress that I don't think was there in previous years. Um, and I think that stress, that exhaustion... The, like you said, the day-to-day grind, I think it, it clearly got to him uh, to the point where he wasn't able to uh, enjoy doing the job. The, the things about the job that he enjoyed, and, and the stuff that the team went through from the injuries in the preseason and throughout the season. And, you know, once you go through those injuries, that the follow-on effect is, okay, then the losses and then trying to get a team together. It's just, it was a lot of stuff that ideally a head coach doesn't have to go through. Um, and and he unfortunately did have to go through all that, and he just he couldn't find time to find the joy in the wins. He was telling me about the game against Sydney, where I think you were at that game in Traralgon, and it was a really good win for that team, for the for the community as well. Everyone was getting around it. Uh, Mitch Creek, you know, what nearly fifty points. It was a great game. He's talking about his two hour drive home and just not being able to be happy because he knows that Joe Chi's probably gone back to China, that Ryan Brockhoff got injured, Gary Brown got injured, and so he wasn't able to sort of relish the the good things about the job. And so um, this was very much a sense of him walking into his exit meeting with Tommy Greer and basically him saying, look, I think I've hit a brick wall. And Tommy saying, yeah, look, we think so. Like, that's clearly the case. And it was as much as it was Simon Mitchell sort of stepping aside and saying, it's probably time for me. This was effectively mutual. It was effectively him saying that and the Phoenix saying, look, we understand, we get it too we're ready to move on as well. And I, th- I think there's like a mutual respect there as well of like, this would, it would be good for this club. It would be the best thing for it if they move forward and found, you know, a different fresh sort of voice to lead them. The Terrellgan game was the story that uh, sort of hit me just as I was reading through this, because as you mentioned, I was at that game mm-hmm. and I remember how I felt when I left that game on the two hour drive. And it was very, very different to the way Simon felt. And there was no other media there for that game. So, which understandable, I didn't even know how far away Taralgon was. That is a long ass drive out there. But so we get into these press conferences and it's just me and Simon and Mitch Creek who had the 46 point game. And then for the Sydney Kings, obviously Buford and uh, Walton who had 45 points. So it was a game that, it was my favorite game of the season just because the absolute chaotic nature, the individual performances, both teams going through a whole lot of stuff. And so that should have been and I remember the press conference and Mitch Creek was 
and vibrant and excited and happy and thinking, okay, I know this has been a tough day, but we beat the best team in the league, double overtime. This is what it's all about. And Simon, like, was, to me, like, seemed like he was happy and he was excited and, and just... And it just gives you a little bit of an insight into maybe what he felt as soon as he walked away from that. And I'm asking him all these questions and it does, it does give you an insight. And you mentioned the fact that we ask all these questions a lot and we definitely had some back and forth about the defensive stuff and the inconsistencies of this team and they had reasons for it. But yeah, it's just a a little look in the door of probably the fact that we walk away from that and we write a story that I think is fine and balanced and perfectly normal critique. But then we get on with our day and he's at home thinking, what am I actually going to do with Ryan Brockhoff injured again? And what is the the depth of this team? And the starting lineup looks great, but they're never on the floor. We've had winning seasons three years in a row and maybe we're not going to get the opportunity to get where we want to get. So it, it is easy to understand why he would have been frustrated and feeling this way. And it's something that he he experienced that sort of adversity a, a few years in a row, yeah. and and that made it really tough for him as well. He he, it was a story he told me that didn't make um, the article of him getting a phone call from a coaching friend in Europe, and he told me that there was sort of like a little glimmer that kind of came upon him of it would be really fun to go and coach overseas. Um, and I feel like that points to just how stale the situation got and, and things just got stagnant and it was just tough to see growth when it, when it just wasn't happening. Like when you, when you're just stuck in this situation, it, it, the things don't seem to be progressing in front of you. And so he, he thought about that and the potential opportunity of coaching overseas. And he, he said it was one of the first times where he thought like, I could enjoy, you know, coaching basketball in a, in an environment like that. And I think that pointed for, for someone who's from the Southeast Melbourne area, like he's very uh, in touch with the community for him to feel that and to, to not feel joy coaching the team that, you know, effectively was, was made for him. Like his, his career was leading up to that point. Um, that was, it was really sad to hear. And so he, so what's next for him? He wants to do his uh, what death metal, heavy metal tour. I don't, Anytime he talks about that after a press conference, I sort of tune out. It's just not my thing. Um, that's uh, that's uh, Mickey Randall from uh, News Corp's uh, areas. I think they uh... he just takes over there, and then I can sort of slip out the slip out the back door <laughs> at, at John Kane Arena. Um, so he's going to do that, and he also mentioned that he uh, wouldn't be against doing some media. Uh, I think we, we've heard a few coaches. I think Dean Vickerman, uh, most notably, has spoken about it would be good to have a coach's voice on the commentary, um, and Simon Mitchell was sort of putting his hand up saying that's something that he would be interested in. So I wonder if, you know, the NBA will reach out to him and maybe include him in some of their, their game coverage. Yeah, that would be fascinating. I, I did send Simon a text and just said, look, we might work together in the future. If you want to come across <laughs> to the dark side now, do I really think this is the dark side? I don't know, but you just get to throw it out there and you never know. Oh, so we might do podcasts or who knows some, some TV stuff or something in the future. I think it would be interesting to have that, that someone that's been right in it in, in recent times. I would love that. Yeah, I wonder I wonder how it would work with someone so recent. That'd be super yeah. interesting. You know, him commentating, you know, Kyle Adnam. I wonder, can he be objective? Does he have I know that's the problem. Does he yeah. have the capacity to be objective about these guys? We talk about like Corey Williams and, and 
all and, and you know Liam Santa Maria and Damon Larry and these guys, they're pretty removed. So they didn't really they didn't really play with a lot of these guys. They didn't play with any of these guys. So you know they can be objective with someone who has like a, a direct access to these guys currently. I wonder. I think he would do a good job because I think, I think he's the, the way his personality is. I think that would translate pretty well on broadcast. Uh, one last one on the Phoenix before we move on. So overall, you know, I got to throw some numbers in there. So we discussed this all year with the starting five on the floor. They were really, really good. Four hundred fourteen possessions. Uh, this is SpatialJam.com stuff, plus 16 net rating. And their defensive rating was 101, which is elite. In fact, it's it's beyond elite. Like, that is some seriously, seriously good stuff. That's their they just never group. got them out there. Just the starting five, yeah. yeah. They, they just never got them out there. And as I said, they've had winning records the last uh, three or three out of the four seasons that Simon was there. It's hard to win. It's hard to win. And overall, people will look at the defense, and that was a big reason why they weren't able to get over the hump. But health had a lot to do with that. But overall, getting this franchise started, getting this team started, working through the COVID stuff to, to launch a new club is difficult. And certainly as we've looked at the Phoenix, who do we think of first for me anyway? Uh, Simon, Mitch Creek, Tommy Greer is the three guys. Yep. Uh, it's going to be fascinating to see uh, where this club goes to next. Uh, did you want to mention any names? I mean, we're probably going to mention the same names that everyone else does for coaches. They'll start high. They might go local. Uh, it's... I don't know if you've got anyone random you want to throw in the mix. Oh, no, nah, no one random. Um, I reported a few weeks ago that Trevor Gleason has a desire to return to the NBL. Um, yep. you know, he's someone who they would consider. Um, the one who has been on seemingly every shortlist this offseason is Judd Flavel. Yeah. It, yeah. it would not be surprising if that's the direction they go. I, I know that uh, Tommy Greer likes Judd Flavel a lot. I know Romy Chattery, the managing owner, likes Judd Flavel a lot. That wouldn't surprise me either. Um, everyone around Brian Corgin that I've spoken to has said that he's, he does, has no desire to return to the NBL. Um, he is comfortable where he is in Asia, so I would take that off the table. Um, that's pretty much it. The other the thing I'd flag is I wouldn't expect uh, an announcement or a, a hiring too imminently. Um, mm-hmm. Expect that to be closer to when free agency starts, which is closer to you know very late March, early May, that sort of area. Yeah, it is a little bit different this year, obviously. Come back hey, to March, normal early schedule. April. I got to say, yeah, I caught myself. Early April, not May. May is far away. Yeah, but it just in general, like the schedule is a little bit different this year. Obviously, last mm-hmm. year, everything was a little more uh, compacted, or I guess the last couple of years has been. So that's worth pointing out. Brisbane, I don't think we need to go crazy on Brisbane, uh, but Sam McKinnon, I mean, we've we've discussed the bullets and you know, the roller coaster and Sam, the GM of basketball, interim coach, GM of basketball. <laughs> I don't think this was, you know, shocking news based on, you know, the reporting you've had, we've had it at ESPN throughout the season. And you can take this wherever you want to take it, Olgs, but I will say this, uh, Sam had the statement uh, last night that you tweeted that was uh, through to ESPN. And when I first saw it, I was was like, well, I better have a read of this. Like, is Mm. there there going to be anything interesting? Just pure class. Yeah. And... He was not in a position, nor did he have a desire to, you know, kick people and, you know, wave his arms on, on the way out. Um, he's someone who... So firstly, when the Bullets hired Stu Lash as their senior advisor, a senior basketball advisor, um, that was very telling. It was effectively, look, Sam's days are numbered. Uh, and we, we knew that as soon as Stu Lash came into the picture. Um, 
we weren't sure how long it would take. And obviously it took this long and McKinnon technically was made redundant from his position. And so what was once a triangle of decision-making in Brisbane, which was Lash, McKinnon and Justin Shuler is now just, I guess, a straight line where it's, it's Lash and Shuler. Lash is based in Denver. Um, I'm told he will continue to be based there. And then Shuler is the man on the ground here. So they're the ones making the decisions um, for McKinnon. It's, it's sad in the sense that he is a staple of this franchise as a, as a player, as a assistant coach, as an interim head coach, as a GM, he has been synonymous with, with the bullets. Um, and especially since they returned uh, to the league. And so it is sad to see him go. Um, I spoke to him on the phone last night. He said he wants to get into coaching and that that's not surprising because when, when he came through Melbourne and we chatted with him, he made no secret about the fact that this is something he enjoys. He likes the day-to-day grind of coaching and dealing with players and um, being a leader of men and that sort of thing. And so not sure what level he'll start at, you know, when he gets his, his next gig, but that's expect the, uh, that direction that uh, he's going to end up going and he wants to be a coach. And, and so that's why I guess it's, it's not too sad of a situation because I guess he can go and, and chase something that he really wants to do. Yeah, and it's it seen that way. He's, well, he certainly ended the statement as in he's excited to see uh, what will come next. And, you know, ultimately, like when you think about the names that if you have a short list of names that you think of, of guys that have been, you know, right in Australian basketball over the last two decades, he's, I mean, he's on the very, very short list as well. So I'm sure uh, the next role won't be too far away there. And just another guy that has is, is always been happy to talk it through good and bad stuff this yeah. year, which you appreciate. I mean, that ultimately, if you don't have that, it, it, it makes it a little bit difficult to do the job we try and do along the way. The Bullets, just quickly before we wrap up this, uh, what about the roster stuff? I mean, I don't know if there's anything you're, you're absolutely hearing, but everyone just looks straight away at the veterans, uh, the local veterans, we should say. Justin Shula has said some stuff about... You know, we want the point guard. By the way, we've heard this from Brisbane for, for multiple years, but is there any <laughs> roster stuff that you're expecting or hearing or seeing? So at this point, the, the point guard stuff is very real. Um, from people around the Bullets I've spoken to over the past 24, 48 hours, um, they know they need a point guard. And whether that's an import point guard or one of the local point guards who might be on the market, like a McDowell White, who's from the who's from Queensland, um, that they know that's the direction that they need to go in. Um, and so that's the first thing, or the, that's the priority. They may lock in some ancillary players here and there, but they know that the bulk of the remaining money, which unfortunately isn't much because there's a lot of money in Aaron Baines and Nathan Sobey, they know it's for an elite distributor, right? That's They know that's what they need. Um, right now, the key is trying to lock in some of the local talent. Um, they know that a lot of, what they're doing as far as recruitment isn't just for this season, but it's for next season and beyond. You got to think next season, Sobe has a team option. Aaron Baines is off contract. And so that's a lot of money there. That'll be kind of pushed away. Um, they may return, but it won't be on the same amount of money. Um, and so they'll have more flexibility. And so in order to create some sort of sustainability, locking in a, a local core, even if that's like your bench and maybe one, of, maybe a fifth starter, they know that's important. They know that a lot of the teams that are having success are, are doing that sort of thing. Um, and so they do have a desire to bring back Tanner Krebs. They have a desire to bring back Tyrell Harrison. Um, as of now, it is unsure whether Gorjok Gak would return. I'm under the impression, based on a few people I've spoken to, that he will, will more than likely not be returning. 
Um, he has interest around the league, and I fully expect him to to sort of gauge that interest. Um, but yeah, look, it's a point guard, and it's locking in uh, a local core so they can be sustainable, not just this season, but over the next few years, because they know that they've got to work in those like three, four year intervals um, and build up the the team to not just the team. They know their team needs to match their market, right? Right now, they sort of they act like a, a small market team even though they're in one of the biggest markets in the world, in Brisbane. And so they know that they need to match that. And the ownership knows that they need to match that and create some momentum going into the Olympics, which I know is nine years away, but they need some sort of foundation. Yeah, GAC is an interesting one. I mean, so he should probably look for other opportunities, particularly if you know the indication is that you got Baines, you got Harrison. And it's, he probably wants to go somewhere at least where he's guaranteed to be the backup you know, which obviously wasn't the case this year. And he played uh, some good basketball. We know a guy that we work with regularly, Peter Hawley. I mean, gee whiz. Does Peter like Peter... him? Oh, I, or does I, Peter, Peter love him? Loves him to death? He likes him a lot. He, he, <laughs> every time we write the three-by-three three article at ESPN, he wanted a question to get Gorjak Gak in the answer <laughs> somehow, <laughs> Peter, which, by the way, fair enough. He did have, he did have a really good season. And I would like to he see did. him get an expanded role. And now you mentioned William McDowell White, which I don't, we're going to get to the breakers, as I said, but it did make me think of other local players that teams might uh, have a nice little uh, look at, a little dabble around. And the Cairns Taipans are going to be fascinating to see what happens in the off season. They push Sydney all the way to the brink and Chase Buford said it after the game. And it was the obvious comment. I don't think you can get away if you didn't say this, but he said, look, we're not silly. If, they were fully healthy. Maybe things could have been different. This game did go until the fourth quarter of game three before it really became apparent that the Kings were going to push away. DJ Vasevich hits a couple of threes and uh, that was able to shut the door on a series that became really, really challenging for the Kings. You're in the building for two of these games. Just the Kent Taipans briefly. Uh, what did you walk away from this series after seeing them up close against the Kings? What was your sort of thoughts about maybe... First of all, an incredible season, but yeah. also it would be hard if you're a Taipans fan or part of that Taipans organization to not walk away and say, geez, what if, what if we had those guys? Well, the, the, the what ifs suck because, because. because you're, you're in there and the Taipans are one of those teams that knows that they're probably going to lose a lot of those top tier guys. They're just unfortunately probably going to get priced out. And so when you're able to nail them in that, in that initial season, so you get your Keanu Pinder back and he puts on an, an MVP level season, right? You know that you might have that one because another team is going to price him out of your, your market, right? Same with Bull Kowal. And then same with nailing all of your imports. And so the fact that they seemingly nailed their entire roster um, and played a brand of basketball defensively that was so conducive to them going all the way. They, they, they nearly that that game three was scary going into mm-hmm. it. People asking me who are you tipping, who you got. I said, look, I think Sydney, but I, there's zero chance I would I would never bet on Sydney um, because of how competitive Cairns was. Even with all those injuries, they were able to to sit down and guard, and their schemes were really good. And you knew that if they got hot, they could they could surprise you. They could they could stun everybody. Um, and so that's the most disappointing thing because what if what if next season, what if they miss on one of their imports? I think they, they sort of nailed all three imports. 
even the, the ups and downs that Tajir McCall might have had, I think he was largely really good. Yeah. And so and so unfortunately, like what happens if next season they get three imports and one of them maybe isn't up to scratch? Then that, that's the difference maybe between being finishing third and finishing seventh, right? And so you feel bad for him. They, they seemingly nailed everything and credit to Adam Ford, not just for uh, putting in his defensive identity and, and his identity was, was out there every time they're on the court, but also for recruiting this team. He's the guy who, he's the head of that snake when it comes to recruitment and, and picking players. And so credit to him for that. Um, if he can do it again, cool. The fear, the fear though, is that they're, they're more than likely going to be priced out of guys like Keanu Pinder and Bullcoil, and that's going to hurt. Yeah, I suspect they'll they'll really raid the the college stuff again as they did last year for the periphery guys. And and you know, Wardenberg was awesome, and we've seen mm. uh, obviously Antonio. He had that crazy game one. The <laughs> younger guys, the guys that uh, perhaps weren't the the marquee guys coming into the season, I should say more more accurately, uh, but. Ultimately, you're right. When you look at the top three teams this season in the Sydney Kings, the New Zealand Breakers, and the Cairns Taipans, yeah, based on the regular season stuff, obviously the Jack Jumpers were right there. Mm. Those three teams, I don't think there's any argument that they had the best three imports between those three teams. Make your case for Adelaide if you want, but ultimately, you know, it, it didn't work out. So the top three teams. So, yeah, you have to, for your depth stuff, and it helps if you've got a local star like they did with Pinder, who wasn't there at the end. But if you nail the imports, you put yourself in the best uh, possible position to make a massive rise, as the Breakers and Taipans both have. You know, ultimately, across the course of the season, we discussed it a lot. The defense kept this team in it. Uh, the Sydney Kings weren't firing particularly offensively. And I wrote about it this week because even though there was ups and downs and there was some really scary moments for the Kings and the Taipans were undermanned, we understand all of it. But it followed what we've seen throughout the season. The Taipans wouldn't go away in these games because they would just hit a timely three. Every time you thought the game was over, a yeah. timely three would go down. They shot more threes than any team in the league, but they were second last in the league for three-point percentage, and they were eighth in the league for offensive efficiency. So they had enough firepower, and they took the type of shots that would just keep them close. But this series was Sydney just constantly attacking the rim, getting those two-point shots up at high efficiency, and the Taipans just firing away from three. And it is just a tough way to win. It really is. It is a tough way to win against the best teams and the best defenses in the postseason. And again, all the reasons why it, we feel unlucky for the Cairns Taipans, but the offense ultimately hurt them. And you give, firstly, you give credit to Adam Ford and the way that team guarded, right? Because the, oh, the yeah. difference in schemes from game one to game two, um, I think that had, I think Sydney had 58 points in the paint in game one. Game two, that number was practically halved and, and it was also around that 30 mark uh, in game three too. So they did a really good job just clogging the paint, making it difficult for, for Xavier Cooks and forcing Sydney, who are a good three-point shooting team the numbers-wise, but they don't shoot that many. Mm. Um, and so forcing them to go you know, away from what they're, they're used to doing. Um, and I also thought that the, the defensive transition stuff was really good. Um, but then also on the flip side, credit to Sydney for... Uh, it was something I asked Chase about in the press conference, which is three straight games. You had three straight complimentary players step up for them in Jonah Antonio in game one, Lat Mayan in game two, and then Ben Air in game three. And he effectively said, yeah, it's by design. We we are loading up on their proven guys, on, on their guys that we know are prolific and who can beat us. And we're going to let the other guys sort of 
take the scraps. And and so it was a nature of the the lack of depth on the Taipans as far as the outcome of those injuries and you know them have them having to play guys who didn't get extended minutes in the regular season. Um, but also credit to to Sydney and the way they schemed it and especially the way they they schemed guarding DJ Hogue in game three relative well, to the first two games. <laughs> Justin Simon is the defensive player of the year. And it's, I don't think it, it shouldn't have been close. Um, and obviously he wasn't even in the top three, but he showed why he's the uh, the kind of premier defensive player in the league. Yeah, it, it's... it's uh, Because you always get people ask these questions when you see games like that. You're just like, oh, why didn't you just do that all the time? Why don't you do that every game? Like, why don't you get Justin Simon to do that on Barry Brown in the grand final, you know? And I, I thought it was fascinating how Chase sort of walked through and explained you know, why they went to that, the reasons why. Game three, DJ Hogue's been doing everything. Fifth game in 11 days. Is he really going to have the energy to be like, oh, my goodness, I, I, nothing easy is coming tonight. And we saw it. You know, I think he had the nine shot attempts well, 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 well down on where he'd been for the rest of the series. And that, you know, might have been... Yeah, you know, it's easy to say that might have been the difference. Uh, one last thing on this series, just the foul stuff. There was a lot of talk about the fouls. Yeah, pretty simple stuff for me. If you've got one team that's trying to attack the basket all the time and another team that's launching a lot of threes, you're probably going to be more prone to giving up fouls. The Taipans actually shot more foul, uh, free throws on the series than the Sydney Kings did, which is kind of hard to believe based yeah. on the, the shot uh, locations. But this is where I think more than anything, because you can say what offense do you get if Pinder's there? all this kind of stuff. But to me, that's where it really hurt because it wasn't even that the the fouls were putting the Kings on the free throw line because a lot of the times they weren't because, again, we look at the free throw discrepancy, but it put the wrong guys in foul trouble and then you didn't have the star backup that they would have had through the season. So I think it all just started to add up. It was one of the things that I was confused about when I asked Adam Ford about it after game one, where I said, is there a concern that Bull Kowal seems to be picking up early fouls I, I want to say every game in this series he would have had two fouls in the first quarter and probably yeah. early in the first quarter and he said no like his defensive intensity doesn't change so we're okay with it and in my mind I'm thinking well that's the problem like the whole point is that he's he's that means he, he's not he's not adjusting to the calls he's important he needs to be out there and we saw it with with Paul Kowal we saw it with Tajima Call. just weird reaches and I get it Chase Buford had a strategic ejection in game two, um, going into a game, a deciding game at home. We, we already know that home court advantage exists. It exists across every league in the world. It just does. And so all of the factors led to a relatively friendly whistle for Sydney on, the, on top of the way they play, which is head on the rim sort of stuff. Um, but I, I think Cairns were just really undisciplined a lot of the times. And so that's partly their fault. And, and I was standing right on the corner at Kudos Bank Arena where the, the Taipans coaches would walk out. And in the first half, they were they were irate. They yeah. were so mad at, at the officiating. And look, and then understandably so, Sydney were getting a lot of calls. Sydney were also drawing a lot of fouls. And if you go back and watch them, you know, Zave Cook's driving to the rim and, and Tajir's like the third man out, swipes down and picks up his second foul in the first quarter. Like, that's on you. Like, that's that's not the refs. That's not Vaughn Mayberry doing something. That's you being undisciplined and not just like guarding with your hands out. Yeah, it was tough. It was tough because yeah, then Ford was in a difficult position where he was keeping guys out on the floor very early in the game with two fouls. And again, it just became 
pretty challenging. But the, def- the to his point, the defensive, the aggression stuff, the causing chaos, creating turnovers, getting easy baskets for a team that uh, it wasn't great offensively were a key part of their game and it's what made them tough to play against. So they kind of had to stick with it, yeah. even though it, it was just a, a challenging situation for the Taipans. The jack jumpers on the other end, they have always been a little more of a challenging team to sort of talk about because they just kind of do everything solid. There's nothing really over the top that's elite about it. And this year they were sort of top five around the mark defense, offensively around that sort of fifth, sixth, seventh, fourth, you know, the, the just mid-pack on, on every yeah. team, super solid. And they did that again in this series. And I said this with the absolute most respect to both teams, but early in the season, I think I referenced that I thought the breakers were the jack jumpers with a little bit more offensive firepower. And you know, ultimately, that was the difference in this series. The jack jumpers were right there again, and Barry Brown just said, I think, I think we're going to win this one. I think we'll advance. <laughs> yeah, we, you look at the two styles of play, and they're super similar. And we knew that going into the series. We knew they were going to be a grind. They were going to be low scoring. Um, but we also knew that it just takes a few extra top-tier level guys to put you over the edge. Um, and I thought Tazzy did a really good job getting the ball out of McDowell White's hands. They mm-hmm. made him super ineffective in this series. Um, but unfortunately for them is when he, if he's being ineffective and I guess he draws whatever kind of creation gravity that he has, you, you still have someone like Barry Brown Jr. doing his thing. You still have Draw Brantley. You still have Derek Pardon, who's really effective inside. And so they can, they can hurt you in a lot of ways. They, they, they come at you in waves in that way. Whereas Tasmania, they can they guard it in a similar way to New Zealand, which is super effectively, but then they don't have the same level of consistency and reliability on the other end. You know, you're relying on Milton Doyle to make tough shots. You're relying on Rashad Kelly to create for himself. The ball movement wasn't as good as it was throughout the regular season because there was no Josh Majette. And so you're relying on a lot of these sort of ancillary players to step up. And to their credit, a lot of them did. Um, but it's just it was just never, not never, but it was going to be very tough for it to be enough to get over the breakers who I think have the top tier talent, but also have the depth to, to keep coming at you. Yeah. They were just hunting for offense through this series. And by the way, it couldn't have, been, it couldn't have been more difficult. They came up against the number one defense in the league and they were lacking the the guy that sort of creates everything and gets things ticking. Yeah. Uh, not only in the half court, but also sets the tempo. The Jack jumpers play slow, but Majette is the one that pushes the pace. If he gets those rebounds and pulls up for those long threes and those types of things. So they missed him big time. Uh, given the way that his face looked uh, a couple of weeks ago, the fact that he was on the broadcast and saying, I'm playing if we get to the grand final, all that kind of stuff. What an absolute madman uh, Josh Majette yeah. is. I hope he's, I hope he's feeling better. And, uh, you know, he, he's become a staple for this Jack Jumpers team. That was the first time he missed games. I would say if I'm the Jack Jumpers next year, and again, you talk about a team that openly not... You know, they don't hide it. They're working with the budget. They're working with constraints within the franchise as well. They recruit very specific players. We've all discussed it. We understand what they look for. But it's been two years in a row where they've sort of had the uh, Cali McIntosh sort of third import type guy. I just do think they need more scoring. Now, that's easier said than done, and it's just a very basic thing to say, but... They, last year, even though they got to the grand final, this year they get to the final four. They just always felt like they were a scorer short. So what are you thinking? Like, uh, and this is really weird because anytime I talk about 
uh, what a team needs input wise is like oh is it like a dj hogue kind of guy yeah of course like, everyone wants dj hogue but as in do you are you thinking like a three four sort of scoring more of a wing than a bruiser is that is that what you think this team needs yeah because i don't think uh i i don't think that because they play in the half court a lot i don't think they necessarily need a big that can score a lot but they do need guys that can create a little bit i agree because if no. that's the type of basketball you, you're set up to play and you want to limit the possessions across the course of a game and turn it into a grind and play tough defense. I think uh, someone that can create a little bit, like you're not going to get a guy that, and DJ Hogue obviously isn't that guy. He can shoot a lot of threes and get his own shot, but Mm. yeah, maybe someone that sort of plays that three, four, a little bit more dynamic than those two guys. And again, easier said than done. Like, is that possible? I don't know, but I would, I would think that that would be sort of part of the wish list. Yeah. And I I don't think it's unreasonable at all. Um, I think most Teams who want to aspire to be in that top four area, they need at least three really solid shot creation guys. So, like you look at Sydney, it's you know you got Xavier Cooks, you got Derek Walton Jr., you got DJ Vasiljevic. These are all guys who you can put the the ball in their hands, or they create some gravity by way of their ability to create shots or create advantages. Right? New Zealand has the same thing. McDowell White, Barry Brown Jr., you got Isaiah Liafa. These guys can create advantages in their way. Gerald Brantley, and so. I think you need that. And and Cairns had that as well. Um, in you know, Shannon Scott and Tajir McCall and DJ Hogue and even Bull Kowal was was taking people off the dribble and Sam Wardenberg has his sort of own unique gravity too. And so Tassie just didn't have anyone outside of Milton Doyle and then uh, Josh Majet's sort of passing gravity. Outside of those two, it just there was no consistency. And so they need I I, I tend to agree. If they can go get like a, a three four sort of guy. Um, I think that would help them a ton. It, it would make a, that would make them so much more reliable because we know what they are defensively. That, ident- that identity seems baked in. They just need consistency on the other end. I love that you mentioned Cairns because it is a perfect example because the numbers tell you that the Jack Jumpers had a better offense on a per-possession efficiency basis. But who do you think was more dangerous? The type ants. Everyone would answer that. They would always yeah. say the type ants were more dangerous. So, yeah, I think that's a really good example last one just to wrap it up on the jack jumpers then if you've got any other late little trickly news pieces you want to throw out there we can get to that scott roth just watching the post game i say it almost every pod but man just love this guy his post game press conference was just awesome he's getting asked about you know how do you you know handle this loss says i don't care he didn't say i don't care but he said i'm fine he said i'm fine it's over with I'm going to walk out here. I just want to have my cigar and get on with life. You know, and you just don't see it. And you compare it to some of the other press conferences we've seen when teams have lost. And understandably so. There is the emotion and the frustration and the disappointment. And Scott Roth just the whole time is just level-headed. And just everything he says you want to listen to because you learn little things about why the team is the way it is. And I I do this with... just in case there's any coaches listening that I didn't do this to, it's because I don't have your number. But I, uh, <laughs> if I have the coach's number, I'll send a message at the end of the year. We did this with Simon Mitchell in Melbourne. You just say, look, thanks for the year. Yeah. I appreciate you taking the time to chat to me. Scott Roth's message back, and I'm not, I don't think I'm talking out of school here. His message back, I won't say the whole message, but he ended it with defend the island and about 10 exclamation marks. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm like, how good is this man, honestly? 
He doesn't turn off. He's just on brand 100% of the time. I'm yeah. going to call him out for one thing, though, one thing, though saying that there are nine other coaches in the league better than him. No, no you're, you're probably true. the best probably the best coach in the league. Let's every every year you could be coach of the year. I think I think you I think Scott Roth has demonstrated over and over and over again that he is one of the quality one of the the highest quality head coaches that there is in the NBL. Um and it's whatever if you want to tier them, he's in that top tier. No matter who you want to put with him, you want to put Chase Buford there, you want to put Adam Ford there, Modi Mayor. Scott Roth is is the cream of the crop that we have in the in the NBL. Look, he says that he might not be the best, best X's and O's guy. I'll leave that to the, the smarter people than me to decide if that's the case. But that's not what coaching is all about. You got to have the personality stuff. You got to be able to bring a group together and the culture and the communication and the respect and all that kind of stuff. And he's got that as much as any in the league. All right. Any last news bits you want to drop here? Uh, news, 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 news. Um, no, Dave Hickey, okay. there was a contract extension there. David Hickey was cool. Uh, yeah. Resigned, two-year deal. They're working out the specifics, but it's going to be a, a team option on a second year uh, for him. Uh, DJ Mitchell, I reported, was mm-hmm. his team option was picked up by the Bullets. Um, I think they're going to announce that in, in a few days, but that's a good kind of retention for them. I think he was really oh, yeah. solid throughout the season. Um, now that the season is over for a lot of teams, expect to see a lot of options picked up and re-signings happening. Um, you know, in Adelaide, you've got Anthony Drimic on a mutual option. And so they're, they're working through some stuff there. And Southeast Melbourne, you've got Junior Madut. And um, so, yeah, those options are going to be are going to be picked up. But I feel like there may be a little bit of a holding pattern until the grand final series are over because there are guys on both of that teams that a lot of other teams have interest in. Um, outside of that, it's just like a lot of, lot of guys, a lot of the teams trying to just retain guys like Tassie, they're going to make no secret about it. They want Milton Doyle. He's the priority going into this offseason. So, so do they, I. they want it. They want to keep him. Um, and then just like we're going to, we'll have free agency specific podcasts where we'll go into yep. the specifics. And, but the, the hunt for a guy like Keanu Pinder for a Luke Travers for Bull Kowal, um, that they're going to, they're going to heat up as soon as the, uh, the final game of the championship series ends. Um, and then, uh, ESPN.com.au tomorrow morning. So Friday, we'll have a, a mid-season sort of grades of the Australians in the NBA. Uh, so keep an eye out for that and good video content in there from Laurie Horish, a great friend. Oh, Loz. We know he's, he, he takes care of this podcast for us. And we know for a fact that before he puts this podcast out, he listens to every single second of this pod. So he, <laughs> he, I know he'll be sitting there and thinking, why did it take 43 minutes to get to mention in my name. We know that there's nothing he likes more than talking about Hakeem Warwick moments from the NBL as well. <laughs> we need to get Loz back on the podcast. Uh, by the way, I need to get back to Loz, not to get too sidetracked here, but the the, sure. the, the, full, the full swing doco on Netflix. So I assume you, you're you too busy playing Hogwarts Heroes and not playing, not watching golf Hogwarts Netflix Heroes. a lot. Is that what it's called? It's Hogwarts Legacy. Okay. All right. I'm I'm doing really well. I just learned Imperio. We're doing we're oh, doing great things. Man. You go watch your full swing doco, right? Well, I'm, I'm I'm doing Crucio on some spiders right now. All right, I like it. You stick with that. By the <laughs> way, I do like Harry Potter. Big Harry Potter fan. Just never heard of the Hogwarts Heroes game. All right, make sure you go to ESPN.com.au for all your basketball news. It's late for this podcast to be dropping this week. 
It doesn't mean we're not going to have one next week, uh, Tuesday, earlier in the week. You give everyone a bit of time to soak in uh, the grand final preview. We'll be talking breakers and kings and all the other news as well. So, uh, Olgs, we'll catch you on uh, Tuesday. Bye, Kane.